Hello and welcome to the Movie Moolah podcast, uh, where we have serious people on to talk about serious topics in an often silly way, generally around the business of the film industry. You know, that stuff they don't teach you in film school. With me today is David Chai. David. Hi, Ben. How are you doing? Good. We met years at ago. The American Film Market. Okay. It was at AFM. I wasn't sure if yes. it was that or through, because I know you submitted your film and I stupidly turned it down at the time. Um, but it was a really good racing movie, right? Uh, I was a, I had a film called uh, CG Driver. Yeah. Um, it was about a um, guy who is a driver. He meets up with this passenger who ends up being a trafficking victim. And uh, to save her, he has to give up what he loves the most so that film um i i went with a company uh do you mention companies here or yeah, I you can i i don't always but uh, okay i mean th th they were decent uh apl um so okay. they they took the film and they sold it to six territories uh china south korea vietnam um taiwan and okay I think um, South Africa. So, um, did they? It was a micro budget film, $55,000. Uh, we recouped maybe 10000 out of that after their fees. Um, well, I mean, you got some of it back and you didn't exploit North America? Uh, well, uh, it, it, they did get it on Amazon Prime and, and Tubi uh, through Ammo Content. And then, yeah, I know ammo. Um, I didn't like that deal. Uh, we managed to get it off them. Uh, so mm -hmm. now it's released through Film Hub and okay. I have all the rights back. Uh, we did have a two, two year uh, performance close to get out of that deal. Well, that's good. Um, I mean, performance clauses are important. Um, the one I wrote in when I was running Mutiny was actually an easy out clause. Um, which was basically, if you don't like working with us after two years, you can leave, no harm, no foul, so long as we've recouped our expenses, basically. Right, so, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, I wrote the contract that I always wanted to negotiate when I was on the other side, so. Yeah, that that's something that's extraordinarily rare and mm -hmm. and hard to find uh, some of the other sales agents were like hey we want 15 years or we want seven years or and seven's like, not bad seven's about average well, it's, it's a very long time if they're not yeah. able to sell the film that's true sorry seven with no performance guarantee or performance out not even no guarantee. no no yeah. clauses to get out just seven years. that's that's not so good um the um uh, no, we didn't go with we didn't yeah. go with those guys um i mean what would we have done differently if we knew what we know now versus then um i think the sales agents for the most part it's hard to find someone who's going to be honest with you um or someone who has and 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 also the film they didn't have any stars in it so it it's not as harder. though that yeah. would make it easy for a sales agent. I mean, understanding that if your film doesn't have a bankable name, you're not 
giving yourself an easy job to sell your movie. You're right. And I mean, even if you made it for as low as uh, 55K, I, from what I remember of the film, it looked like a lot more. Granted, that was a long time ago because I yeah. thought it was. I mean, it was shot on the Ari Alexa. Um, yeah. The DP was extra, extremely yeah. experienced. Um, so it, it's a nice looking movie. Mm -hmm. um, uh, if you send me a Tubi link when we're done here, um, I'll drop it in the. Um, okay sure for that so um but yeah. yeah so what i mean what have you been doing since that movie been a minute um so after the so midnight driver or cg mm -hmm. driver at the time i rebranded it because cg is a chinese word but it's also very difficult for somebody to remember mm -hmm. Um, so I rebranded it as Midnight Driver, but it, it went to a few film festivals and won the best feature at the Long Island International Film Expo. Um, I won best director at the Montreal International Reef Awards Festival. And it um, festivals are great for meeting a lot of other filmmakers. Yes. I wouldn't say they're necessarily great for furthering the sales potential of a film, but it's great to meet other filmmakers and, and to get inspiration. And one of those filmmakers who now runs the Long Island International Film Expo, Manny Serrano. Um, oh, I didn't realize he runs that now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Manny does a lot of horror films. Yeah. 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 When I met him uh, and his wife, Lindsay, they'd, they'd done mm -hmm. two features at that point in 20 shorts. And, and mm -hmm. I, I just done my first feature. So I asked them, what are you guys going to do next? Are you going to do another feature film? And they said, we are doing another shot, actually a few shots. And I was curious. I was like, how come you're doing shots after a feature? And they said, well, you know, feature takes longer, takes a lot more investment and time. And we just like making stuff and we like to try ideas out. We like to meet new actors or crew and I was like, you know what? Yeah, let so I ended up making five short films after that feature film. And um they pretty much most of them got into festivals. <clears throat> um, including the Asian International Film Festival in New York, mm -hmm. um, which is great because it's been running for a very long time. Yeah. Um did you but try the last but the last short film I did was actually in 2020. It was during COVID. And a DP friend of mine was like, I'm so bored. I've got nothing going on. Let's shoot something. And I'm like, okay. let." Mm -hmm. And then he said, we might have a chance to get this shown at a network. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, sure. Why not? So we made this short and um, it did screen on the network and they liked it. So then they said, hey, can you come down and meet with us? And then they said, hey, um, pitch us a TV show. That's not so bad. And you, if memory serves, you actually made that TV show, correct? That's right. And at the time, I didn't have a specific idea that would have worked for them. Mm -hmm. So I just wrote down seven one-sentence ideas. And I basically went down the list and just pitched it to the big, uh, big boss. And he liked two of the one sentence ideas. So I said, Okay, give me a week, I'm gonna 
expand this into a pitch deck, full Bible, and I'll come back and pitch it back to you. Um, I did, so I wrote a 24 page Bible, mm-hmm. all the characters, and I had just finished a um, TV writing course at Screenwriting U shortly before this. Mm-hmm. So I, um, and they're great if you need some screenwriting workshops, Screenwriting U. Um, so I pitched him the new series and um well the first thing i did was hey did you have a chance to look at my pitch deck yes oh sorry i didn't have time i didn't read it but just tell me about it <laughs> so so i had to verbally uh pitch him 10 minute pitch of the story the characters the world and after that he was like i like it let's do it <laughs> that's not so bad now i mean this was a this was a procedural cop drama right um so it was a 10 episode one hour serial drama Mm -hmm. police drama and oh it's it's not like so it's not contained episodes it's one narrative arc through one full narrative arc okay over 10 episodes and so the next question after that uh you know the questions in my mind at that time was oh what is let's do it mean let's do it as in let's develop the scripts let's what does let's do it mean and it's like no so how soon can you deliver this that's i mean how much are you gonna pay me is the question that i'd ask but well well i mean my pitch deck had a budget had a schedule it had so so let's do it included all that and um and then, so I had to kind of work backwards and say, well, how fast can I write? Because I wrote the whole <laughs> series. And when can we start shooting? And then when can we deliver if we start shooting at a certain date? And so this was in January, 2021. And we set a date for shooting starting in June. And it's so ambitious. I had about three and a half months to write this. It's really ambitious. It's ambitious. And, and then we um, set a delivery date in december for the first episode did Um, you make it yep we did we did the three and a half months to write it gave me 10 days to write each episode and then um i was the only writer on this Mm -hmm. Uh, initially i was thinking should i look at some of these other writers that i'm friends with but the problem is if they you know it was a non-union shoot so if we couldn't get a wga writer then most of the writers that are non-wga do not have the kind of experience i would have needed yeah and if i got somebody who wasn't able to write fast that would have been worse to it would have hurt you a lot because you would have lost yeah i've been in that position so I, I, I thought, okay, well, I can write fast, so I can write it and I can look for feedback or, um, and I had a team, um, there was five producers on this because mm-hmm. you just cannot do something of this scale by yourself. No. Um, and, and two of the producers on the team, they came from a law enforcement background. Their father used to work in the secret service. They knew plenty of police officers as friends mm-hmm. and um, they themselves also knew a lot about the technical stuff of police. And I, I didn't know anything about police 
when I started. So first mm-hmm. thing I did was go to Amazon and buy a whole bunch of books written by police and my PD officers about, you know, being a police officer. Mm-hmm. And my rationale for that is while somebody's spending two, three years writing this book, they're going to put a lot of their most interesting cases, most interesting stories and experiences in there. If I interview a police officer, how long would I need to interview them to get some of this stuff? Yeah, it's true. Uh, so reading those books was a shortcut to getting into the mind and getting into a lot of these. And and at the same time, I would crawl all these websites to look at headlines of different cases, real cases, things that were interesting. And I would try to use that as inspiration for some of the um, storylines. So then after I write an episode, I would, the first episode, I sent it to some of my writer friends and was like, hey, you know, give me some feedback on this pilot. And the difficulty of TV versus a film is, is not finished. And they don't necessarily know where it's going. Mm-hmm. So a lot of suggestions weren't necessarily as useful as a finished script is for like a feature film script. Mm -hmm. But when I gave it to my team, the other four producers to give feedback, uh, that was more insightful because they knew the outline, they knew what we were trying to achieve. So going forward, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do a draft, send it to my team. And then after that, make revisions and then send it to the network for network feedback. Mm-hmm. How were studio notes on this project? Um, I think I got two notes for the whole 10 episodes. It's not many. No, nothing. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they were really good notes. Um, and we definitely changed. And this is one thing that I've um, heard from other people. If you get suggestions from a network, they're not suggestions. You just... <laughs> Just, just incorporate do, them they're not it's not just yeah. do them <laughs> and that goes for casting too if they suggest you know i like this actor not that actor and I always presented for the leads certainly i presented them with a few mm-hmm. options if they make a choice you say great let's that's love your they, choice. that was my favorite too let's go <laughs> um but yeah I, I i've been there it's a uh it's very true um you are not really there to i mean the choices that i put in front of them were already choices i vetted so it wasn't as though i didn't like them mm-hmm. but if they have a preference um you just have to go with it yeah no it's it's uh, a collaborative process and uh sometimes notes are less notes and more you want my money right um the uh (laughs) but that's a sad truth of the business i suppose so uh were you always anticipating this to be a single 10 episode arc or were you hoping for a renewal or where'd that go um so the um, so this network, NTD, um, they are fairly young in, in the sense that they start, started off 20 years ago as a Chinese language network. And about three, four years ago, they launched the English channel version. 
-hmm. and um, their background is more news and current affairs documentaries so for them this was something new they hadn't done a scripted series before mm -hmm. and as a consequence of their background they didn't have a very strong marketing and pr team to really make full use of this um so i would like to have you know a second season it's not off the table it just hasn't happened yet i mean so you said it was a uh how are they affiliated with the Epoch Times or the was was yeah, there something so, on the link you sent? Um, so Epoch Media Group mm -hmm. um, and NTD are like sister companies. Okay, NTD is under the umbrella. So um, as a consequence, um, Epoch have a streaming service called Epoch TV, and the mm -hmm. show is currently on Epoch TV. That makes um, sense. Um, uh, yeah, but they, you know, they are um, open to uh, licensing this out to other platforms and or broadcasters. So that's something I'm actively pursuing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I have I think on camera, I haven't actually seen the whole 10 episodes, but I have seen the sizzle and the sizzle is fantastic, frankly, more normally it's 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 a uh, high bar to get me interested in um cop serials and i'm actually interested which is highly unusual but the um i also just have an incredibly long watch queue nothing against you uh, um, no problem. yeah the, one uh, of the goals i wanted to do was to stay away from a typical cop show it was almost like well what don't we see or what don't we normally see in a cop series and what's interesting um i didn't want to rehash a cop show that I'd seen in the past either. So mm -hmm. getting to the back to the Amazon books and reading from direct uh, experiences from the police officers, I was trying to say, okay, well, what here is really interesting when I read their books? What mm -hmm. about their experience is is different? Or And one of the things, the takeaways is, you know, what's the human impact of being a police officer? Mm -hmm. Because they experience the full range of human emotions and a lot of times if you look at law and order you know the cases are kind of we have a problem and we solve it by the end but how does that even affect you as as a human as a person so that was something interesting for me i wanted to explore that and kind of show what other police shows did not show and also a lot of the cases i wanted them to be based on real stuff so i mm -hmm most of it is inspired by real things happening in in our world today mm -hmm. um there are two specific one of them is there's there's a police officer that was under investigation for being a spy for the chinese government in and he works at for the nypd he used to be a former army person that so that was inspiration for one of the characters to say, well, what if this person's using this as a perfect way to get inside Intel on any targets of interest? That's, yeah, that's really interesting. And that kind of adds a lot of, uh, I have a soft spot for espionage thrillers. Oh, um, gotcha. So yeah. yeah, that's a, uh, that, that, that just moved it on my watch queue a bit, but the, um, no, that sounds really interesting. And it, it you kind of took an interesting approach in that you took 
kind of the Dick Wolf model, and I just said Dick Wolf instead of Law and Order because it's way more fun to say. Um, the uh, and applied it in a almost like a more wire format. Am I categorizing that correctly? Summarizing correctly? Yeah, I mean, um, definitely trying to expand beyond just here's a case and we solve it. It, it it's mm -hmm. it's trying to dig far deeper. And if you get personally attached to the characters and you want to see them succeed or, you know, the challenges they face, because um, I didn't want to just paint some rosy picture of the police force either. Mm -hmm. There are good cops and bad cops in the series. There are good people and bad people. It, it's trying to be more reflective of how New York really is. Yeah, you didn't want to just make a piece of copaganda, basically. <laughs> you wanted to make a... Uh, you wanted to tell a compelling story about a uh, demographic or, I guess, um, set of people that don't often get totally true stories told. Is that about right? Yeah, because a lot of cop shows, I think, kind of gloss over a lot of things. They try to mm -hmm. paint it more as good guys versus bad guys, but... Mm -hmm. um, I see it as much more complex than that because yeah. someone is a good guy normally they can still make a bad decision entirely yeah it, and it's and, sometimes and, hard to deal with that just in general life I think that having more media out there that tells those complex narratives will help us and, and, and also this is remember this is 2021 and we just had all these fires and riots in in manhattan you know mm -hmm. stores were vandalized and there was this whole backlash defund the police movement mm -hmm. and i was like okay well what what would be a very interesting story to tell here so the one of the main characters is a protester who becomes a police officer an anti-police protester and why does she do that? But also when she does become one, it's not as though she's suddenly pro-police all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. She still has all these notions and ideas of what policing should be. And one of her thoughts is maybe I can change it from the inside. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really empathetic narrative for a lot of people. Um, I, I mean, that's part of why I have the role I have in the film industry is trying to treat filmmakers better on the sales and distribution end and i yeah it's a very compelling thing and it always ends up significantly harder to change a system from the inside than you expect it to be mm. when you get started um so is the film only available in the US? Um, so Epoch is international. Um, so it's on the streaming platform, Epoch TV, okay. but it is SVOD. You have to subscribe to watch it. Mm -hmm. And um, have they considered trying to do like just broadly aggregate to the AVOD places in order to frankly increase their own visibility? Because I, I didn't even know Epoch had a TV system. <laughs> Um, that's a good question. I actually don't know. Fair they, 
they I know they're investing heavily on documentaries for their SVOD platform to mm-hmm. retain and, and generate more subscribers. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, scripted is more expensive, so that's definitely a, especially now. something I hope they come back to in the future. Yeah, I mean, it's a even places like uh, DC, like HBO and DC, are still licensing some of their big content out. Um, it's it's the pure only on our streaming platform model is not exactly what it used to be. No, um, I think everyone's realized that monetization is not just about keeping it on your own space because after those people have seen it it's not really generating value anymore so why not give it to another platform that has a different set of audience and you might even draw some to you um for the new exactly I mean, it's a i think it's a good model to do that and for a while it went away but it seems to be coming back like there's a really interesting video and i'm forgetting who did it um might have been captain midnight um just about what the office leaving netflix did for the brand of the office Mm. and because they were really using it to try to drive people to peacock Mm -hmm. it didn't work basically it's a just viewership and cultural awareness of the office kind of just dissipated once it was only on peacock because i like peacock peacock for a while was the number one payer of royalties and that was great um but i don't know if you just don't have the viewership it doesn't matter too much um they have around what 30 million i mean i think they have it depends on how you quantify it um i don't actually know their active users but the only thing that really matters is at minimum monthly active users really you want more weekly um to get an idea of what actual sort of viewership you can get from that and i didn't expect this conversation to go here so i didn't actually pull up the uh various subscriber and uh user counts of these platforms but it is notable and frankly when you're considering something as a filmmaker especially if it's an exclusive deal it is one of the metrics you should look at mm-hmm. obviously what they're paying you as an mg and all of that you should definitely consider as well but you should look at what the cultural awareness is going to be like as an example i think i don't it i believe amazon prime's viewership numbers are well into the nine figures in the u.s Mm -hmm. um and that's a lot of people but most of them really aren't that active that might even just be their subscriber count and pretty much less than 10 percent at a guess use actively use the video services most of us have it for free shipping it's right just what it is Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of why some of the marquee series for amazon are done at a premium like they end up paying 20 to 40 percent more than another network would pay because people because the people making it know that I'm not going to see residuals. This isn't going to help my career as much because nobody's going to hear about it because nobody actually is really active on Amazon despite their gargantuan number, uh, their gargantuan subscriber number. Um, All opinions based on public information, nothing insider there. 
Sorry. Sometimes I had to put that disclaimer out there. Um, <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think it's interesting because a lot of the streamers content is, I don't know, somehow it just feels like it's gone through less of a development process yeah. than the traditional studios or broadcasters because broadcasters typically have a huge hand in the development. Okay. So it sounds like in your experience as a uh, showrunner, though, they didn't have that much of a hand. In well, I, that was a surprise to me as well. Yeah. I, I expected a lot more notes, a lot more feedback. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, generally speaking, the show was extremely well received. Um, it has an 8.6 on IMDb. Ooh, that's very good. And on Epoch TV, they have comments under mm. each episode. And I would say maybe 70% of the notes or, or comments are, can't wait for a season two. <laughs> That's great. I mean, like if you're getting 70 to 80% on that ratio, you're doing very well. Even my tiny YouTube channel right now, I get like maybe 80 or 90% positive, And then I get random just, swear words at you <laughs> for no reason it's um but i mean hey if you want to comment swear words at me go ahead have fun engagement helps um the uh but yeah it's it's a weird marketplace and it's a weird thing overall the internet i suppose we're kind of unfiltered jerks and i'm trying not to swear in this episode for <laughs> personal challenge um but the uh yeah so are you working on anything else are you to or what are you doing to fill your time and pay the bills since you've you're on hiatus from being um uh, right for that series um so <clears throat> i don't know if you've heard of angel studios uh, probably everybody has by now but mm -hmm. They have a process where you can submit a video called a torch mm -hmm. to try and pass through Guild because the whole thing is crowdfunded or mm -hmm. crowd. But the way it works is you submit a video and their members called the Guild vote on the video. And if, if they vote, um, there's two questions they ask. One is, does this project amplify light? because that's their main mission at Angel. Mm -hmm. Even though it is uh, run by Christians or um, they they don't, it, it's not a purely Christian mission on, mm -hmm. on that platform. So does it amplify light? Y yes or no? If it's no, pretty much you're, you're, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next main question is, how disappointed would you be if Angel did not fund this project? Very disappointed somewhat disappointed or not disappointed and you need to pass 40 percent, saying very disappointed mm. that's the bar if you get past 40 percent, you're pretty much in to the next stage where they now will try to help you get it financed and distributed and marketed that's and, interesting um, less than six percent of projects get past the guild but the ones that do get passed, they have massive uh, support behind it, as you can see with uh, Sound of Freedom. Yeah. 
but even um the the head of um his only son which uh came out in easter mm-hmm. that was a i think about a sub five hundred thousand dollar film and it made about 15 million dollars in two weekends or two weeks i mean even once you account for the uh probably at least a 65% take by the uh, theaters there. That's huge on an ROI. Yes. And, and the reason they can do that is, and the reason they have that crowd vet their project before it gets financed is Mm -hmm. these guys become active uh, promoters and champions of the project. They help to push it to their church groups, push it to their friends and effectively help the project become profitable that's fantastic i mean it is a finding those early adopters and those just the loudest people in your audience who will just shout about you is always the hardest part so uh you have something going through the guild right now or um so i'm i'm uh, in the process of putting a video together to submit to the guild okay um well i record fairly far ahead of when i release so i always have a pipeline going um so it might be ready by the time it's there if it is i'll drop a uh clip and a card or a link and a card here so okay yeah the yeah yeah, basically um what i like about their process is Mm -hmm. anybody can submit it's not a closed door and it's very transparent um they give feedback on what your votes actually were so you'll know how far off you are and if it's close you can actually do a re-edit and resubmit okay that's so, really and some projects failed first time but got past the second time i mean they clearly did well with the sound of freedom in terms of just straight business i'm not for clarity i'm not talking about politics here or anything it's not a political show right. um but the the box office numbers of sound of freedom are staggering yeah staggering um and i mean i've heard some things that some of those are inflated which well they have this they have a pay it forward model which they created when they did the tv series the chosen Mm -hmm. Uh, this is a whole storyline about how they were in a lawsuit with disney and they need to make a certain amount of money by a certain time or else the company was going to go bankrupt and they were SVOD, but they changed that to a pay it forward model, donate Mm -hmm. to let other people see it for free. And they made four times the amount of money. They made just enough to stave off bankruptcy. Um, Disney had a new legal counsel team and then their $62 million judgment against them got reduced to $10 million, which they had to pay off over 10 years or something which, you know, that's easy for them at this point. Yeah. But um, basically that was created out of necessity, but they've used that because obviously they're trying to promote from a biblical standpoint, promote um, Christianity. Uh, But 
in the case of Sound of Freedom, it's more about the cause because um, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but it doesn't really talk about Christianity at all in the film. I, I did not get that sense. Um, the uh, but that actually explains something. I saw some uncorroborated reports on social media that basically they actually went to see Sound of Freedom, and even though these box offices numbers were gigantic, a lot of the theaters were just barely packed at all like hardly anybody in there and if um, there is a pay it forward that would make sense yes but um I, I think officially somebody asked how many of those tickets were paid forward and mm-hmm. uh i forget who it was that said probably less than seven or eight percent oh wow that's way less than i expected when um, i went to see the movie yeah. um yeah um the theater was 80% full. Okay. And this was not the first few weeks. This is probably like week three. Sometimes they do. I mean, rarely, but sometimes there is a later peak in viewership on it. That's kind of what the uh, limited release model was trying to capitalize on back in the day. Under And and I saw it, you know, yeah. in a little town in upstate New York, not in a major metropolitan. So um, makes sense. So what from town? Middletown. Middletown. Okay. My mother and grandparents lived in a town outside of Rochester called Hilton. Oh, okay. Um, I've heard of Middletown. I haven't been there, but yeah. Um, yeah. The, no, that's really interesting. The, um, and again, I only have uncorroborated reports on that. And when I said the uh, they probably inflated their numbers, that wasn't a slight against uh, oh, sure. Sound of Freedom. It was just almost a universal concept, basically. Uh, so I, a, I think uh, it's a genius marketing campaign, honestly. You can say, hey, you can mm-hmm. watch this movie for free, but it makes you actually investigate, well, what's this movie? Yeah, that's a... Uh, I think the pay it forward model, especially on a uh, faith-based platform, um, is genius marketing. Genius. Yeah, absolutely. It is such a great call on that. And the um, it's not necessarily my demographic personally, um, but it is I I can appreciate good marketing wherever it comes from. But the. yeah, so that's really interesting. Um, have you do you do a lot in the faith based space or no? You... Um, I'm not a Christian myself, um, mm-hmm. but I do recognize there are, is some crossover in terms of wanting mm-hmm. to bring positive things into the world and mm-hmm. talk about um, real issues that a lot of people are dealing with in a way that's more constructive or leads to discussion that might actually lead to change as opposed to just wallowing in, you know, Hey, you know, like the world sucks, life sucks, just, Mm -hmm. just burn it all down, you know, or let's focus on serial killers or, or people that are gangsters and criminals, which. (laughs) I I could agree with you there. Um, I mean, I've distributed a lot of horror movies and things like that, but at some point it is a uh i have a business to run and mouths to feed so the um and that's what i know will sell the other thing that sells really well is faith-based 
films that is it's almost universal i specifically don't do a ton in that market i mean i do i've been on the ministry of motion pictures podcast twice um and i have a great respect for the models that uh faith-based filmmakers use to get their work out there it's just feels disingenuous if i'm the one running it directly as opposed to working with somebody who is a person of faith because i'm not i told my my father-in-law asked if i was going to marry his daughter in a church and i said no we don't want a sunburned groom a sunburnt groom just that's (laughs) not gonna help um but the uh it's different strokes different folks basically um everybody yeah being tolerant and, and being accepting of other people and being understanding it's it's okay for you to have a different idea and a different way of living um the only problem is if you're now saying no you can't do what you're doing and you have to be punished for that as opposed to you know live and let live man like yeah not... no i i i agree i think it's a uh We are very, very polarized, even in media. Um, which media, is- politics, yeah. spiritual beliefs, um, personal philosophies. And th- that's one of the things I wanted to do in the TV series was not to, I might have my own personal beliefs about something, but the character doesn't need to have that belief at all because mm-hmm. that character isn't me. In fact, that might do the exact opposite of what I want. And and if it makes sense for the story, that's what's important. Oh yeah, no, I've I've distributed movies that had overall messages I didn't agree with, but that person had a right to say it, and I thought there was a market for it, so I helped it reach its market, basically. Yeah, and and yeah. to me, you know, uh, being mindful, uh, especially about the pol- political divisions now, especially about mm-hmm. the police, and and I've certainly had some friends come up to me and say oh you're promoting the police and i'm like but there's bad police in my show too i there wasn't this isn't a glamorization mm-hmm. that's one-sided yeah i mean it's there is a big problem with some media um around cops in the military um kind of falling into a trap of well, that's probably a harsh way to say it but um especially with the military, you normally have to go through a pretty rigorous uh, media process in order to use any military assets like planes, boats, anything, which means that it does end up being overwhelmingly positive towards the military in most of those instances. Um, And I've heard the same can be true for cop shows. Uh, Did you run into anything like that? Uh, So we actually had to apply to get a license from the NYPD Mm -hmm. to use their image likeness logos Mm -hmm. and um they just look at your outline um and you know make a determination but we got we got approval um we didn't you know hide that we're discussing topics and there are corrupt police in there uh but you know it, it still passed and we because we shot with people in uniform on the street you have to have the police with you when that when mm-hmm. those scenes are being filmed and at the beginning the police unit that is in charge of film and tv in new york were a little kind of trepidous because 
how how are these guys going to present us you know mm-hmm. are they going to be negative or not and they weren't mm-hmm. very nice to us <laughs> at the beginning um, they would do things like um they would leave an hour before we had finished their booking time that sounds go, like it could provide problems for you yeah because we we couldn't keep shooting with the people in uniform and part of that i mean that happened twice mm-hmm. and basically thinking i had an hour and 15 minutes to shoot something and suddenly i've got 15 minutes to finish shooting it um which was like wow okay um all right let's just go <laughs> action <laughs> yeah um that was not fun but you know, we're able to work around it by shooting all the police stuff in that 15 minutes. And then when we, we shoot the reverses without the police uniforms yeah. in it. Um, but, oh, go ahead. They, but after that, the first two times that never happened to us again. That's good. Um, they, you know, because you see the same faces they, you get, they do have 15 different police officers in the film and TV unit in New York and they do rotate, but you do see some of the same faces and they were definitely much friendlier after they had got to know us. And Mm -hmm. I wonder part of that was just kind of, yeah, you know, we we give them a little bit of a challenge, (laughs) see how they handle this. Yeah. That's, I wouldn't be surprised on that. I mean, I'd also imagine that the NYPD, um, it's just more accustomed to dealing with shoots than like Middletown's police department would be and all of that. Yeah. I mean, what I find amazing about the New York, uh, the NYPD mm-hmm. is that you don't have to pay for the film and TV unit. It's part of the New York city's drive to get more film productions in, in, in the city. But if you mm-hmm. go outside of the city, you go to Westchester, you go to Yonkers, you go to Middletown, you do have to pay for the police. And we yeah. were looking at Westchester County until we saw how much money they were going to try and extort from us. Oh yeah. And, and then I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> so San Francisco makes you pay for the police and everything else like right. you'd expect but the city will reimburse you for every cent of city services including police on set after the really? shoot's done so oh, that's wow. a interesting application of the city tax incentive um and new york's way seems to just kind of cut out the paperwork a lot more but right it is a uh i kind of prefer new york's way but san francisco at least has an answer to these right which is better than nothing um the no that's that's all really interesting um yeah there and there are some interesting um things too if Mm -hmm. if you're shooting inside inside a building Mm -hmm. uh you don't need them that makes sense and there was one case where we're inside a deli and the door is glass and I was, so we asked them, do we need you here for that? Um, and they said, you're inside the deli? Yeah. They said, no, you don't need this, even though the door is glass. And we kind of cheated a little bit because he had to walk into the door from outside. So 
But what we did was nobody knew. It's fine. But what we did was we had somebody with wardrobe with um, uh, a cover. So when, as long as they're covered when they're not filming. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if they have the uniform on, but you put a jacket over or, or mm-hmm. some kind of cover so they could go out and eat lunch or, or something like that. But they have to be super mindful because, you know, they have prop guns. And even though the prop guns are sometimes they're rubber, they don't fire anything, but it looks like a gun yeah. on a holster. They can't just walk around. We have to make sure, okay, give those to wardrobe before you walk outside and you know, we don't want people calling the real cops on us in those yeah. cases where we don't have the unit already with us. No, that would be very bad. Um, one yeah. thing that and, happened. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. So there was one, um, shoot, we had a shootout staged on the street and of course, you know, the film units with us, they check all your gun props at the beginning mm-hmm. of the day when they get there to make sure that they're not real guns, they're props. And then sometimes um, other police officers that are in the area would come by just to have a look because they know that you're shooting there. I mean, it's 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 interesting that you get lucky lose whenever you shoot anything in public. In absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and and I, I was really grateful to have them because mm-hmm. um, some of those neighborhoods were pretty sketchy. We we shot in East uh, West Harlem one that, night yeah at at night and the producer told me afterwards was like they could hear the police radio and there was stabbing like three blocks north of us there was a shooting two blocks south of us and um the police unit said to us hey guys you might want to wrap this up fairly soon and get out of here <laughs> and then they had to race off when after they said that because they had to stop two gangs from opening having open warfare on the street just south of us that's not great um but yeah yeah so nothing happened to us we we wrapped up pretty quickly after that and got out of there but it was it was interesting and and they would definitely say to us hey you guys know how to pick the neighborhoods (laughs) yeah i mean look i live in northwest philadelphia um in like germantown on the mount airy border sort of thing for anybody who's watching but i'm not that's i'm not super scared with where i live but man west harlem would scare me and i also used to live in the tenderloin in san francisco so i'm i am accustomed to not great neighborhoods and West oh, Harlem would be scary. I, I would say the scariest location we shot at was probably Long Island City. Really? Um, south, south of Astoria. Not in the nice part, in the public housing. Oh, okay. Um, so projects part of Long Island City. Mm-hmm. There was a studio um, in one of the buildings, but I didn't see any of this, but all these different people were getting solicited for drugs uh, outside. And one of the producers walked past this group this gang that were literally just checking out their guns on the street. Um, there must have been like 10 gang members with their guns out in public view, not caring that they're fully visible. And then some dog walker said to to him, you guys really, sh- you shouldn't really be here. Like, you shouldn't be here. Like, like you should leave. <laughs> this is dangerous. <laughs> not a place you should hang out. Yeah, no, I... 
I used to do karaoke at a bar at uh in San Francisco at that was very very close to Sixth and Market, and anybody who is watching this from San Francisco is like, when I say that, <laughs> um, but the uh, I had a very similar situation. I was hanging out uh, with a friend who was smoking a cigarette, and we were just chatting there. It's like, yeah, you guys should not be here this is Hmm. not safe for you you should go um but yeah so i i know that pain and i know that fear and it's i never really had anything bad happen there but it's probably luck more than oh uh i'm i was glad to get out of that neighborhood (laughs) but it was funny because i was inside the studio the whole time i only heard about this afterwards because there was other crew members or people that were walking around outside. Yeah. And I didn't know. I mean, I... it definitely felt sketchy, but <laughs> I just didn't personally see any of the uh, drug dealers or gang members look, outside. If you just look straight ahead, hands in pockets, walk fast, but not run. Walk like you have somewhere to be. Nine times, not more than nine times out of 10, you're probably fine. Just, mind your business don't don't do shit basically it's don't stir up shit and there won't be shit um but damn it i swore um (laughs) made it to the end um but anyway so on that note uh i'm gonna move to the three questions i ask all of my guests towards the end um you can answer the first question second. Just tell me to move on to the second if you need a second to think, because it's it sometimes takes a minute. So that first question is, what are your top three favorite movies as it stands? Right this second now, they can change in five minutes. Um, but just vibes how you're feeling now. Oh, boy. Such a... <laughs> wow, that's, that's a hard question. I know. Which is it's why so hard because, because <laughs> I mean, there's the classic movies I love like mm-hmm. Star Wars or um, of course Jaws or Raiders of the Lost Ark, but um, you know, in, mm-hmm. in recently um, top three. Um, wow, that's such a. <laughs> um, I mean, one of one of the, I guess, one of my favorite films in the last five years, I would say, mm-hmm. would be Sp- Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Across, not the yeah, the, the first not one. The first one, the new one. No, no, the in no the the first one is Inside the Spider Verse or Into the Spider Verse. Into the Spider Verse, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first one. It's okay. I saw the second one. It's okay, but the the okay. first one was was to me one of the greatest. Um, it was incredibly unique and very, very good. I, right. I agree. Yeah. Um, and um, I know it's a it's a high bar. The, you know, I I just go back to a lot of the films that I loved in the eighties or nineties. Um, yeah. Like favorite action movies, like Die Hard or Lethal Weapon, and I I think because. If you look at the amount of screen time of drama versus action, there's actually more screen time to drama. Yeah. And a lot of the action movies now is 90% action and 10% drama. Yeah. 
and um, you look at James Bond, you basically have no idea who that character is. You have no idea who the bad guy is because there's just set piece to set piece to set piece to set piece. And in a John Wick kind of film, that's okay because you don't need to know that much about that character. Yeah. But the early Bond, there's a lot more talking. There's a lot more seducing or schmoozing or... I, I, I agree. I have a, like I said, I have a soft, a soft spot for espionage films and high among those are some of the James Bond and all of the Mission Impossible. So... Oh, yeah, yeah. And Jason Bourne, um, the Bourne identity. Yeah. Um, I love those films. Mm-hmm. Um that kind of answers your question with more than three but (laughs) we'll call it good um you're not the first to do that i do to quote uh bert kreishner um secret time uh i actually used to use that uh when i was still single and not wearing this um i'd use that question as an opener in a bar Mm. uh with uh people i was trying to date it worked really well so (laughs) tips secret time um the uh second question if you could go back in time and give yourself a single piece of advice where would you go back to and what would that advice be Hmm. i'd probably just um say if you're going to be a director just direct just do more, just direct, because I kind of had this idea that, um, and I, I stopped directing for a very long time because my, my, I did a short film in film school uh, in 2000 and mm-hmm. I graduated 2000. And, and then I didn't do another short film as a director until, well, um, until, it was many, many, many years later. It was, it was, um, I, I, I worked in the industry in post-production, mm-hmm. but, um, it was this idea that I had to learn so much more about everything else before I could start doing this because I felt, you know, this such an important job and role, you really need to know a lot. And... I mean, that's true, but you also need to have a specialization and like, you right. need to be good at directing, like you can supplement your lack of skills by hiring good people around you. The biggest thing you need to know as a director is how to craft the story and how to work with actors. And if you know those two things, you can supplement the rest and learn it as you go. That's my philosophy, but I'm a producer, so I could be wrong. Yes. And definitely because, um, and part of after I made my feature, uh, making more short films after that was, there's, um, you know, don't poo-poo shorts because a one shot led to my TV series, but um, you do need to practice, and it takes much longer to get financing for a feature or, or a big project. Don't stop working on things just because you're in between. You oh, yeah. should be directing or writing or um, even if it's just getting some people together shooting a bunch of scenes um just so that you when you step back into the director's chair you're not like 
wow it's been so long it's so rusty uh, like you have to get back into a groove yeah no that's it's it's a skill set it's a muscle it will fatigue over time it will atrophy over time you need to keep yourself up on it and if doing shorts is the best is the most feasible way to do it that's probably what you need to do um going back to episode 10 of this podcast and tim travers and the time travelers paradox only came to be um because we had made the short earlier that year and then when lots of other stuff happened between um we found ourselves with the production window and no feature to shoot so we adapted tim travers into a feature and that's how that came to be and that's not a, that's not exactly a common story but it parallels a lot of very common things that can happen so the big thing i'm saying there is just keep your skills sharp and work on what and work on furthering the goals you want to further and becoming mm -hmm. the professional you want to be is me i guess processing your point around directing is that loosely yeah right? absolutely you, you yeah it is a muscle it is a skill set that needs practice and needs mm -hmm. time to get comfortable and get good at it and one of the most important things is being able to make up your mind quickly know what you want and get it quickly because when you're on the clock and you have crew members waiting around the day's going the sun's leaving you better make fast decisions or else you're just not going to have that shot or not going to finish the okay. scene yeah i mean so, decisions decision making is a muscle of its own and being right. able to make quick decisions is vital for any department head especially a director um the yeah yeah on on most we had 76 shoot days on the tv series and we probably that's went into overtime quick. sorry pretty quick that's just like about 11 days per episode that's not uh seven to eight days per episode yeah i did bad math you're right seven to eight days per... that's quick it's um it... It, it's okay. I mean, it's not the fastest, it's not the slowest. Mm -hmm. um, but um, we, we only went into overtime maybe once a week, um, past 12 hours. Um, I tried to keep things moving fast. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the reasons why we went into overtime, though, <laughs> it's not because of me. <laughs> there are always things you can't control. It's right. Yeah. the dp takes too long or something's not ready or you have some problems with piece of gear most of the time they uh frown on you throwing gaff tape at your uh dp when they're taking <laughs> <laughs> uh, generally not wise um but the uh that makes sense um so then the final question and this one is exceptionally harder than the other two mm -hmm. um where can what are you looking for and where can people find you what am i looking for like uh if somebody were on this podcast to reach out to you what would you want them to reach out to you about well always looking for financiers of course oh, yeah. <laughs> i've got um, plenty of uh, projects ready to mm -hmm. to go um where can people find me um they can find me on instagram David Chai underscore director. They can mm -hmm. find me on Facebook. And I am on Twitter, but I don't check that that often. 
or not nobody called, checks called Twitter X. anymore, literally, um, because it's now this, which is the <laughs> so, so you know, don't find yeah. me on this, yeah, but um, Instagram is probably the easiest because mm-hmm. if I don't know you on Facebook, I won't necessarily connect um but you know insta is easy and then linkedin of course i'm on linkedin yeah cool well thank you very much for taking the time to chat with us david um this has been the movie moolah podcast i remain your host ben yenny uh and uh if you like this podcast you should sign up for the free independent film resource package through the slash resources link in the bio You'll get a free investment deck template, free festival brochure template, free ebook, white paper, and a whole lot of other stuff, including a monthly blog digest of content, not just blogs, but podcasts like this segmented by topic to help you learn to be the best professional you can be on a manageable time schedule. Thank you very much, and please like, subscribe, and set this podcast to auto-download if you made it this far. That helps grow it significantly. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Ben.